0: good morning TR talk universe this is Tom Alamo. alongside my good friend Ryan Warner we're here with another episode of TR talk where we interview leaders in their field to break down how Millennials can fast-track their personal development and kick ass on this episode we have an interview with the great and powerful max alt max is the founder and CEO of sales hacker the co-founder and CEO of Sutra. He's a serial entrepreneur and sales expert. Max dropped some absolute knowledge on us on the creation of Sales Hacker, his tips for millennials on how to hack their careers, and his path and his journey that started all with a small mastermind group. We get into all that. It's a great episode. Thank you so much, Max, for coming on want to quickly introduce the TR talk fan of the week my good friend Patrick Sweeney from Duxbury Massachusetts Pat thanks for listening brother appreciate the support if you would like to be like Pat and support the podcast three ways you can do it you can head over to iTunes or the podcast app to give us a review we have 67 five stars you can subscribe there or you can go on social media and share out any of your favorite episodes. If any of what we've said in the last 30 episodes has provided you value, please take the 2 minutes to do that. It means a lot to us. But now we'll get off our soapbox and bring you back to an interview
1: with Max Altshuler. Max Altshuler, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Now you know, we could have started this in a lot of different places, Max. You know, but one thing that's clear to us is you just seem like a guy that gets shit done, right? You've co-founded five companies, you have wrote two books, and you're the CEO of Sales Hacker. So I'd love to just start. You know, take us back to your childhood. You know, were you always like this? Did you always have this um, this thing about you to get things done?
2: Yeah, actually, it's funny. So my dad likes to say that my first word, uh, well, one of my first words was demolition and we used to um build with all these like big blocks that we had in the basement we'd build these like massive towers and then we'd take these you know one big block and go all right now say demolition and we throw the you know the blocks at the rest of the towers and knock them all down but i always wanted to build things i was you know i was an architecture major in college um you know it was my my favorite thing as a kid was legos i'd get lost in those things for like 3 4 hours at a time you know probably even longer Um, which was probably the best babysitter my parents ever had was, you know, just getting me a set of Legos and, you know, just putting me in a room with it. But um, I was always a builder and I was always um, really interested in in creating things, but also like the human interaction aspect of building things was always interesting to me as well. My dad's a financial advisor, works for himself. Um, So he's a one man shop and he's always instilled in me kind of the value of relationships and, and even business relationships where, you know, you are, um, you know, you're building a friendship with these people and you're building a trust and you're, and you're working with empathy. And um, I think that both of those things allowed me to, to kind of build the career that I have today where, you know, I, I get to build businesses, but I get to build businesses that, that touch a lot of people. Um, you know, and that, that's pretty interesting. You know, the first company I worked for in Silicon Valley was a company called Udemy, which is an online education platform that allows anyone to teach a course. And uh, I built out the supply and sales side of that company really early on through their their seed A and B rounds. Um, you know, from like five to fifty five employees, and that was a business where you know you got to you got to interact with a lot of really interesting people. You had to; it was a pretty heavyweight sell. You had to take all these people who were who were used to you know writing books, which was you know what was in fashion at the time. Now you know to teaching courses, which is highly technical. And, um, and get them on the platform. And so you had to have some really interesting conversations with some really you know, unique individuals and, and passionate and caring individuals about their craft. And I love that. And then you know, the result of that was helping you know, now probably tens of millions of people you know, learn new things, which is incredible. Uh, you know, if you could teach somebody how to do something, it's better than almost anything else you can give that person. So you know, even with Sales Hacker, we're teaching people how to sell. With Sutra, we're building a, a healthy alternative to coffee. So I like building businesses, but I also like building b- businesses that, that not only reach a lot of people, but can help a lot of people.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's important. And we were we were talking uh, yesterday about uh, kind of some of the things, the words that we come across when we read about you and, and watch videos or podcasts. And empathy is, cl- is clearly one of the top few Um that are related to sales and related to your journey. And so I think that's huge. Um, and one thing I wanted to really kind of peel the onion back on was um, on the entrepreneurial side, you know, specifically on Sales Hacker, right? It sounds like you know, a number of years ago, it started off as, and correct me where I'm wrong, please, but it sounded like it was kind of like a mastermind group of mm-hmm. you and a few other salespeople or sales leaders and trying to figure out you know just ways that you can kind of hack what you're doing and and expedite some of the growth what i'd be curious on is what was the tipping point that brought you from hey this is a mastermind group that's helpful for me versus this is a business that i'm going to dedicate you know my time towards
2: yeah so i went from a company i went from Udemy to a company called Attorney Fee and at Udemy i ran the supply side of the marketplace at Attorney Fee i ran both sides of the marketplace and um, we ended up selling that to LegalZoom. They wanted me to, to move to Austin and switch to marketing. And the, uh, the incentive just wasn't enough to do either of those things, especially after the, you know, the network I was building in San Francisco and my passion for sales and what I had been building there. So coincidentally, you know, two days later, we had our, our little mastermind group. We called the Sales Hacker Meetup, and it was um, maybe about 20 people at this point. Started it with four of us. Um only bring people who add value. It was an invite only type thing. It was it was free, but it was hosted um at the factory or at somebody's office or um I think we did it like the university club a couple times, but um you know that's I our right
1: house by the way. That's random. <laughs> that's right by where we live actually. Um, yeah.
2: It's 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 a good spot. I mean then that's like that's where all this was born, you know, right downtown San Francisco, but um or I guess Russian Hill, Nob Hill, San Francisco, but um I, you know, I went, I, I guess I didn't have a job at that point because I wasn't going to go work for LegalZoom after the acquisition. So I didn't know what I wanted to do next. You know, I had time. Um, I had a pretty good cushion um, to like figure it out. And I said to the group uh, that night, you know, people seem to be really interested in this. Uh, you know, who would be interested here in getting involved if I, if I like did all the work and threw a conference around this i think of maybe a hundred people. And a couple of hands went up. And in that group, I had Jason Lemkin, who was the CEO of Ecosign, who had just sold to Adobe. Um, hey, Max, can
0: I interrupt you real quick? I think I, I do want to hear the, the rest of the answer to this, but just before that, to give some context to the group you had, yeah. how did Jason Lemkin, who I wasn't aware was in that group, how did that initially form? Like, how did you find those people and, and get that group going?
2: So a lot of people found me. So when I was at Udemy, we were doing some really hacky stuff building out our sales process. So I had a team in the Philippines that was acting as our SDRs. Um, I was, you know, we were one of the first um, companies using a a product called App, which is one of these like sales engagements technologies where you can build cadences and, you know, um, optimize your emails and A-B test everything you do. Um, And so we had our, you know, we had our, Uh, Filipino virtual assistants um, basically sending out all these templated emails and getting on the phones with uh, potential instructors, and it was working. It was like a well-oiled machine. And so it was, you know, to me the next generation of kind of like predictable revenue where it's like, all right, here are all the the pieces and parts you need to play with, and then here's how you automate the entire thing at the top of the funnel. And then, you know, for everybody that, you know, responded with a certain answer, um, they went down this path of the funnel. I mean, it was like almost like a drip campaign for you know, outbound sales. It's beautiful. I got on the phone with the people who were who were most interested. And so, you know, we were a Series A, Series B company. You know, growing pretty quick at that point. And you know, we had investors ranging from five hundred startups to um, you know a couple of the other well known uh, VCs in Silicon Valley. And so, when my founders would get asked, you know, what are you guys doing right? you know, they'd kick it over to me, you know, on the sales side of things. And I ended up having conversations with lots of different founders, um, everything from SaaS companies to other marketplaces like Thumbtack. Um, You know, so we were, um, we were kind of pioneers in that sense and uh, ended up connecting with a lot of different founders who were really interested in, in kind of the new hacky, you know, ways to, to, to build out sales. Um, And then, you know, Ryan Buckley had just written an article. He was the the COO at Scripted and co-founder of Scripted. He had just written an article on building a Python scraper so that he could scrape Crunchbase. And so we connected over that. And then it kind of like spiraled from there. We had the CEO of ToutApp, um, who we were, you know, uh, early users uh, with. So it kind of just grew from there. Uh, Xander Ford, who was head of sales at BlueKai, which ended up selling for like $400 million Oracle um, a couple months later. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it just grew like that. I mean, in that, in the last meeting we had before I, you know, said, Hey, let's do a conference. We had Doug Landis, who was the uh, um, VP of sales productivity at Box at the time. We had Armando Mann, who was the uh, VP of sales at Relate IQ at the time, which was before they sold to Salesforce for 390 million. We had Matt Cameron, who had just been hired as the VP of sales at Scripted, but before that was the VP of global sales for Yammer. So you have a decent <laughs> network is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say I, the I least. know these people. Like building this meetup allowed me to meet these people and, and documenting my process and like creating a, a radically new process at my company and uh, working um, allowed me to kind of build the original network. Building that original network and, and kind of running with that and saying, all right, well, let's, let's make this into a meetup, but let's grow it in an invite-only manner allowed that network to get bigger and and grow intentionally instead of you know just kind of like oh whoever wants to come in can take 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 you know we wanted people who can give back and that's why we created that you know the invite only bring people who add value because you know we wanted you know in those meetups everybody got up and, and shared something so like every every time we did a meetup which was maybe every other month you know two or three people would would get up and plug into the screen and it was like all right here's this brand new piece of technology I just found and, you know, here's how we got to plug into it and here's how you can scrape all this information. And, uh, you know, Matt, uh, we had Matt Ellsworth from storefront at the time who was doing his import IO uh, scraping. So import IO allowed you to build your own scraper without like any technical knowledge. Um, you know, and it worked really well at the time. I think they pivoted their their product quite a bit since because it, it was tough to sell. But I mean, there were just some really interesting things we were doing inside of that group that, um, turned everybody on. and uh, So back to your original question, um, how did it become a business? I threw that first conference. It took me about four weeks. I did it by myself. Um, we, in that, when I announced it to that group, I had six pretty amazing speakers between Jason, Doug, Matt Armando, and a couple other guys. Um, I had like 15 K in sponsorship and, um, you know, I was like, all right, well, this could be a thing. 15K should probably cover the cost of the event, but, you know, I'll charge like $300 a ticket. You know, uh, maybe I'll make some money on this thing. But I was really just doing it because, you know, why not? I, I, I had, you know, the time um, and I knew like in a longer, like, longer term, um, in some kind of way, it would come back, you know, to, to be good for me. Um, and I was at that time. I was looking at like, all right, well, do I want to go be a VP of sales at a you know early stage SaaS company or a marketplace, or do I want to start my own thing? So I had I had time, and I really didn't know what I want to do yet. So I threw that event in four weeks. Um, I remember we had InsideView you know, came inbound and wanted to sponsor, and I had to like actually start an LLC to get a bank account so that they didn't have to write me a personal check. And it was like a five figure check, you know, for an event that we just started, so it was like pretty substantial. And, uh, so four weeks, ran it by myself, made like 60 K in profit on it. And I was like, all right, this is pretty interesting. This will buy me some more runway to figure out what I really want to do next. You know, whether I wanted to start my own company or, you know, go be VP sell somewhere. And, you know, so I, so, you know, I went to Dreamforce, which was the, 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 like a month later, kept connecting with a lot of people based on the previous event and the success from the previous event. And when you start a conference, you know like sales hacker at the time we started when there was really nothing else like that around and now there are, are tons of conferences but at that time you end up connecting with so many people who want to build their brands um who want to get on stage and share their knowledge people that you wouldn't be able to like usually cold call cuz you don't have a lot of value for them but at this point now you do so you know I'm I'm able to get in touch with VPs of sales at you know Dropbox um, you know, any other big company I really wanted to get in touch with that was a you know venture back company. It was pretty easy for me. Um, and I remember going into some of these bigger companies like LinkedIn, Dropbox, um, and the rest, and you know, getting face to face time with their VPs of sales and, and learning from these people. And um, over time, I learned so much from being able to spend one on one time with people like Mark Roberge, who is the CRO at HubSpot, for example. Um, yeah, probably yeah. more than I would have, you know, actually being in the weeds. And so, um, I said, all right, well, why don't I do this for a year and see if, uh, see what comes from it. So I did a uh, March conference. So like six months later, did a conference in, uh, in New York, made a similar profit in a similar time frame. And you know, I was like, all right, well, this is, this is getting increasingly interesting, from a financial perspective, and I'm meeting so many new people, I'm learning so much, let's see how far I can take it. And it kind of just started naturally like that. I didn't have to force anything. Yeah.
0: And and if I were to take one thing away from that, it would be that you added value to the marketplace first. And that's something that I actually went to your revenue summit last year in San Francisco and that's one thing I took away from Ralph Barcy shout out to Ralph about what he said is that you need to just add value to the marketplace and and that's what kind of helped to spur uh some of the ideas of of us starting a podcast we started not long after is that the the people that you want to connect with are not going to talk to you if you're not adding value in some way whether it's creating a mastermind group whether it's trying to network or, or trying to create new systems at your current job that you can share with others or or pass it along. So I think that that's something that regardless of your role, regardless of what you're doing, um, trying to find creative ways to add value um, yeah. is something that anyone can take away from.
2: Exactly. I mean, And is that something you talk
0: about in your, your upcoming book, Career Hacking? Definitely.
2: Um, adding value, sharing everything. I mean, I remember when I first started blogging about um, I had a site called Max Talks Hacks. I don't even know if it's still alive, but it was where I put all of my uh, blog posts about what I was doing at Sales Hacker and how, like, we were hacking the sales process and building out teams with you know our Filipino virtual assistants and where to hire from and how to hire uh, VAs and how to connect all the systems and how to do um, you know keyword searches using SEO tools for sales. I mean, it was it was. You know, to find your ideal customer profile, and you know, uh, and and teach virtual assistants how to to find them on the internet. I mean, now there's a lot more software available to salespeople. Five years later, but I remember at the time I was sharing all this information, and even my dad was like, "Are you sure you want to just share this? Like, can't people can't people just then do it without you? Like, what do they need you for?" And I was like, honestly, I don't think most people can just execute that well. Like, they either don't have the staff or the resources, and most of these venture backed companies would rather just pay me to do it for them. Or they'll just come to my conference, you know, if I'm going to do a conference or a meetup, if I'm going to do my meetup, you know, it's just a way to, to build that kind of brand value. So even if I didn't have a conference, even if I didn't have a meetup, but I was sharing that information, just a way to build your brand in a way where it's like, all right, now you're, you're the guy or girl for, and you're the go to for this, you know, topic. And you want to be like, whatever you do, you want to be the go to for something, no matter how niche it is. If you're the go to for something, you're going to build like a, a brand and a community around that, and that's going to take you pretty far.
1: So, Max, with the last uh, bit of time we have here, we want to shift to some rapid fire questions that we sourced from the audience. Um, you know, the first one for me is you know, the book you're you're releasing coming up here is Career Hacking for Millennials. Yeah, I know this is more. This could be an hour long, two hour long conversation, but what are the what are some of the key takeaways? from that book you're releasing?
2: Yeah, so I go into um, a lot of different things, really. I mean, it's like, it's it starts off with what you need to do before you get a job. And it's not a how to get a job book. Like, it's not, um, we're not going to uh, help you, like, figure out your resume and stuff like that. But um, little things about um, who to work for and what to optimize for earlier in your career – you know, I hear people in sales and, and the book is not just for sales. It's for sales, marketing product. I mean, probably anybody except for, you know, engineering or, or development, because that's a whole different kind of career trajectory, but um, little things like who to work for. And I hear things in sales where people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to take the 5K more in OTE uh, over the other job. And I'm like, well, all right, just for the 5K? And they're like, yeah, you know, why not make 5K more? And it's like, did you ask the right questions? Did, first of all, did you ask, you know, what's the breakdown? All right. So it's 50-50 base plus your, um, you know, your compensation quota. And did you ask how many people hit quota last year or last quarter? And if that answer is not over 100%, then you're, that, that extra 5K that you think you're going to get might not end up coming. You know, if only 30% of the company is hitting their quota, that means that nobody's hitting their OTE. So are you asking the right questions? The second thing is, and the most important thing, early in your career, it's, it's you know, unless you really need that, unless that 5K is going to help you put food on your plate or, you know, have some shelter or whatnot, like essential things, you should be optimizing for who you're working for and the opportunity ahead of you. You know, if, if you if you could work for a seasoned VP of sales who's been around the block, been there, done that, is going to give you some you know tutelage and 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 time, um, and is going to help you get to where you need to be, or has a network so that when you've done your time at the at that company, you can get um, you know connected to a bunch of other new opportunities, or you know maybe that company has a really interesting path for you. That's such a better opportunity than the one that's going to pay you five K but has none of that. And so just thinking through like what what's the best thing for me long term even if I have to make some short term sacrifices. And at Udemy I had to make a lot of short term sacrifices, but I knew that opportunity was going to be massive for my future. And so I said okay, you know, I could have got much higher paying jobs. Um, but I went to a seed stage startup in 2011. I mean, it's not the same as today. You know, the seed rounds back then were sub $1 million. Now you get a $7 million seed round. But you know They didn't pay much. And I, had a, I moved to San Francisco where I didn't know, know a single person when I could have went back to New York right after college and hung out with all my high school friends and went to the bar after work uh, you know, and I had a blast, I'm sure. But you know, instead, I worked 16-hour uh, you know, days, like six days a week, um, and probably five hours on the seventh day, not knowing anybody, not really going out for the first like, six months I lived in San Francisco to cut my teeth. So it's really about putting in your work, you know, early on in your career. Um, and then some of the other things I go into, like after finding the job is, you know, keeping the job, like just basic, um, just like kind of like basic things to work your way up in your career all the way into, um, you know, your work-life balance and, and life outside of your job. I'm not saying you need to have any balance at, in the beginning because you got to cut your teeth, but there's definitely certain things you can do with five or 10 minutes of your day and, and ways you can set up your morning routine to live a much better lifestyle than alternatively.
0: Yeah. And, that, and that's some really valuable advice. Cause I think, you know, people of all ages, but especially right when you come out of college, right? Like if you have two offers and one is 5k higher than the other, you immediately take that one. And it's, did you ask the right questions? What's the growth potential? Um, you know, who can you work for is, is probably bigger than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's some great advice. And, you know, you just talked about the routine piece. And I want to stick on that for my question here, because I know that sales hacker is completely remote. I see you all the time. Sometimes you're in San Francisco. Sometimes you're at the pool in Miami. Sometimes you're in God knows where, Bali or wherever. <laughs> um, so I'd love to hear from you on you know any hacks you have on working remote and specifically to how you get into a particular routine that helps you start your day.
2: Yeah. So it's very different working remote as the CEO of the company than it is as an employee of the company. Um, and my entire team's remote. They all have their different routines. Um, if I'm not accessible, uh, pretty much all the time, I could become a bottleneck. Um, you know, I still have to approve things budget in like a budgetary sense. Um, you know, I still have to chime in on things that might be, you know, well, maybe this language is a little bit off brand or this image doesn't look like an image we'd usually put out. Like I still pay attention to a lot of little things that we do, even though I trust my team completely. And because we're remote, like I have to trust my team more than probably anybody else. But I still make sure that I'm not you know, a bottleneck. So I gotta be accessible at all times. But I have Slack on my phone, I have my Asana. Um, if you're ahead of your priority or, or your to-do list, then you're always kind of living life on your terms and not you know, so reactive, but proactive. So I think that's the number one thing is is finding the lifestyle that's going to let you stay ahead of the things that you need to do and make sure your team has some kind of way to, to track and like, like Asana, for example, that, uh, that puts stuff on your plate and tells you the due dates for them so you know wh- well ahead of time what's due. I'm in a terrible position if I'm not paying attention to what's due in Asana and I'm not paying attention to my to-do list and then I have like my you know my my routine that I'm in and all of a sudden I have all this stuff on my plate and I'm like, "Oh, when am I going to do this?" And now I'm a bottleneck for my team. So like it's terrible for the business. But what I do is I stay ahead of that that list and I make sure everybody knows to put things on that list um you know well ahead of time so I can knock things out. So my routine right now is I wake up with the sun. Uh, we're in uh we moved to Miami now. Uh lots of lots of great reasons, but um Seventy-eight and sunny in summer, one of them, no state taxes. Another one of them, not but too bad. Yeah, but um, and a lot cheaper. But uh, you know, I wake up with the sun. We're east facing, so you get a nice big ray of sun in your window immediately, which is exactly what I like. Um, meditation, uh, walk on the beach with the dogs, I get a workout or a swim in. And now it's like eight thirty, nine o'clock. You know, I'm ready to start my day. And uh, get to the computer. I got my little screen here. I got my view. I got my my smoothie, um, you know, ready to rock. And then I'm at the computer based on my to do list uh, on and off throughout the day. So I might I might work all the way through if I've got a crazy packed to do list, or um, I might stack my calls, you know, for like eleven to two p.m. Or uh, you know, if I'm not here you know, if I'm in New York or San Francisco, I'm in meetings all day. And so when I'm in New York or San Francisco, I don't do as much of a morning routine. I actually get out of my inbox in the mornings, um, because I know I'm going to be out of meetings the rest of the day. So it's all about finding your hot and cold zones. And it's all about knowing, you know, being ahead of your to-do list. And what I mean by hot and cold zones is, for example, like I know first thing in the morning, I want to go work out or, or meditate and do other things and not, you know, get right on my, my computer. Um, But, you know, at like through lunch, through 1 p.m., I might want to work straight through that. Like I don't want to take a noon lunch just because lunch is at noon. I want to take a lunch when I feel like I've put four hours in straight and now I'm like, all right, burning out a little bit. Now let me take a two-hour break. And then let me come back on later when I'm feeling really good. You know, if I'm not doing anything at night, sometimes the best hours for me are, you know, are late when people aren't online. So it's it kind of depends on – your own thing, but just look out for your, like self reflect and take, take temperature on when you're on and when you're not and work when you're on.
1: Cool. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And the, how you describe waking up with the sun, that's just like soothing. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what it is, man, but that, that sounds, uh, sounds like the way to start your day. Uh, well,
2: yeah, hey. uh, frozen. My girlfriend made me watch frozen like a month ago. And in the beginning of the movie, the, she's like, she wakes up her sister and she's like, um, like the day's alive. Like the, the sun is out. So like the, we have to wake up with the day. And I was like, that is exactly how I sum it up. Like I, I just couldn't find words in this little girl from some Disney movie. You know, <laughs> and I was like, wow. I didn't think to be like spiritually awakened by this, you know, Pixar, or whatever it is, but it worked.
1: Now you sound like a, like a, like a Buddhist or something right now. Very Zen-like man. I, uh, it- I don't know. There's something about the, the way those words go together that is, is refreshing. So, um, and I'm gonna have to find an apartment with an East facing window so I can wake up with the sun.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There is a spiritual aspect to it. I mean, especially the remote lifestyle. It's, it's trying to find balance in your life so that you're fulfilled by everything you're doing and nothing is, nothing is too much. I mean, it's funny most people a lot of people like to watch Netflix, go to movies, play golf on the weekends like I like to work on my businesses. I like to write a book. Like I genuinely love what I do, but it's because I have that balance and not just a, it's not a time balance, but it's a balance of like those hot and cold zones. It's a you know, I'm going to take my time when I wake up and not look at my emails yet and I'm going to get into my groove and then once I'm in my groove and I'm on, I'm on. So when I'm working, I'm super efficient. And when, you know, I feel like I'm off, I don't force my work because I'm ahead of my to-do list. So I don't have to, I'm not sitting there like, oh man, like I don't feel like working right now, but I really have to get this done. If you don't, if you don't get in that, that predicament, then you don't have to work when you're not on. And so when you're on and you're working, you're a hundred percent, you're good. When you're off and you're working, you're at 50%. So you need double the time to get as much done and you get it done at, pretty much a less lesser version of it you know than you would have so I don't know that's the way I look at it and it's it's worked out pretty well for me so far well I'm I'm about
1: three days away from embarking on a sales job where it's 100% remote so this is a this is relevant and uh, super helpful for me
2: Hell yeah that's the way to do it
1: I think so too I'm excited for it man well hey I know we're over time here and you got businesses to run Um, So we'll let you go. Before we do so, any last words for the audience and where can we find you on social? Where can we find your books? Where can we find your conferences?
2: Uh, Yeah. So definitely check out the new book, uh, Career Hacking for Millennials. Uh, It's coming out March 5th. So I'll have more information on that soon, but it'll be careerhackingbook.com. And then saleshacker.com where you can find out everything you want to know about sales. Um, It's all practitioner-led. So uh, you're learning from people who've been there, done that pretty recently, which is uh, probably the most interesting thing about it. And uh, my book, Hacking Sales, is on Amazon or HackingSales.com. And then you can find me on LinkedIn, Max Ouchler, and on Twitter, uh, Max Alts, M-A-X-A-L-T-S.
1: Check him out, people. Hit him up on the, on the social channels and um, let him know how much you liked him on the TR Talk podcast. <laughs> uh, right. Thanks again, Max. We'll talk to you soon, man.
2: Sounds good. Thanks, guys.
0: That wraps up another episode of TR Talk. Thank you so much for listening, for sharing, for subscribing, for reviewing. It really does mean so much to Ryan and myself. If you have anyone that you'd like to see on the show or if you think you'd be a good fit, please let us know. Emails, hit us up on social. We're coming back to you with another episode next week. We have some great people lined up across athletics, across sales, um, CEOs, Into finance, so we're really excited for the next coming coming month here, Um, but until then we're out